0: I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 46. It's titled, Discover Your Investment Style. I get a lot of emails from individuals that want to know, how do I start investing? How do I begin investing? And what's interesting is it's not so much, what are the steps? Often, they're, they're young and they're seeking permission to invest. In other words, am I allowed to invest now at this stage of my life? And I want to talk about how to begin investing in this episode, how to discover your investment style, but we're going to take a bit of a circuitous route and start by talking about poetry. In 1798, one of my favorite poets, Williams Wordworth, and his friend and neighbor, another of my favorite poets, Samuel T. Coleridge, published an experimental volume of poetry called Lyrical Ballads. Their aim was to depart from the elevated and learned tone of a lot of the traditional 18th century poetry and use the conversational language of the middle and lower classes. Now, they sort of divided up the workload. Coleridge was going to focus on, his poems were going to be on persons, what he called persons and characters, supernatural or at least romantic. So much more romantic, much more supernatural, whereas Wordsworth was to focus on the ordinary things of life. It, what it, Coleridge described as the charm of novelty to things of every day, and, but do it in a way that it would excite the feeling of a supernatural, but just to bring to our minds things that people hadn't really thought about given they're just sort of busy in their day-to-day lives. So they started at the same time. It turns out Wordsworth was way more prolific than Coleridge. And so by the time the volume was complete, Coleridge had only finished about five poems, and that's all that was in the lyrical ballads, and the rest were Wordsworth. So the reception to this experimental volume of, of poetry was diametrical, complete opposites. Coleridge describes as there was an eddy of criticism that violently whirled the poems round and round, boosting their notoriety. A lot of the traditional poets and those that like traditional poetry didn't like this because it was written in the common language, they, they would even describe the poems as silly. But at the same time, there was this religious fervor that Coleridge describes that, that, he, he, that characterized the intensity of Wordsworth admires, particularly not, even though this was using the common language of the people, it was the highly educated young men that just ate up this volume of poetry. So later in 1817, in Coleridge's book, Biographia Literaria, which I've not read, but I read a section, there's one of my favorite quotes by Coleridge. But in this volume, he was sort of talking about all this fur, about this volume of poetry and the criticism. But then Coleridge asked, he started to explore, what is it that makes a poem a poem? Is it simply the presence of meter and rhyme, If we add a meter to a novel, would it then be a poem? And then here is Coleridge's answer, which is profound, and it applies not just to poetry, but to a myriad of topics, including personal finance. He says, and this is the answer to his question of whether if you just add meter to a novel, whether it would be a poem, quote, The answer is that nothing can permanently please, which does not contain in itself the reason why it is so, and not otherwise. Let me repeat that. The answer is that nothing can permanently please which does not contain in itself the reason why it is so, and not otherwise. In other words, a unique and satisfying whole is comprised of and defined by its parts. A poem, for example, has numerous elements inherent in a structure that makes it a poem and not a novel. What are some of those elements? Well, in a poem, every line is equally important. You don't read a poem and just to scan it to get the general idea or, or skip the, the flowery parts of novel to get where the plot's going. No, with a poem, you, you really have to focus on every line. Here's a quote from Coleridge: The reader should be carried forward not merely or chiefly by the mechanical impulse of curiosity or by a restless desire to arrive at the final solution, but by the pleasurable activity of mind excited by the attractions of the journey itself. It's in the journey. Each line, he says, should excite more continuous and equal attention than a line of prose. The other thing that distinguishes a poem from, let's say, a novel is how it balances or reconciles opposites or discordant qualities. Quote, from Coleridge, the general with the concrete, the idea with the image, the individual with the representative, the sense of novelty and freshness with old and familiar objects, a more than usual state of emotion with more than usual order. Coleridge concludes, motion is the life of poetry and imagination of its soul. So a poem is very different from a novel and how if you read a poem by Wordsworth, it is very different than a poem by Coleridge it's, I'm also I'm often fascinated you know as I look at artists paintings illustrators how their style emerges and and it is it is definitely unique to each person and so when we talk about investing and how to learn to invest and discover your investment style we need to recognize and go back to sort of that quote by Coleridge things are the way they are I mean they're distinguished the parts of things are unique, and that is what makes them whole. All things, not just physical things, are utterly unique. So we as people are, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, we're completely unique. And so how we approach investing is really a function of our personality. Now, I've known many professional investors over the years, and I have found them, they are definitely unique in how they approach the markets as one poem or novelist is from another. Some of these investors and I spent well over a decade researching money managers from hedge funds to bond managers to traditional stock managers to private capital and equity, and some preferred paper assets like stock and bonds, and others really preferred physical things like real estate, getting their hands dirty, exploring properties, deciding what they wanted to buy, or even walking through. You you look at a timber manager as they walk and give timber tours and just the thrill they get by being out in the woods. Some preferred companies that were well-established. Others preferred startups. Some held their securities for only a few weeks. Others kept their position for years. Some liked very concentrated. I've known hedge funds that had six holdings, and there's others that own thousands. There are so many different ways to invest, and we kind of have to find our investment style. And then there's those that don't like investing at all. That's probably not you if you're listening to this show, but some just like to outsource their investments to a a financial advisor or one of the new online investment advisors or or what are sometimes called robo-advisors like Betterment or Wealthfront Personal Capital. Now, those are all valid ways to to invest. So how, how do we discover what is best for us? Well, what I want to do is sort of share kind of my journey. How did I discover my particular investment style? And it starts when I was very young, 10 or 11. And it it sort of is involved both in how I invest, but also how I conducted business over my life. When I was 10, I decided I wanted a paper route. And the paper route company... I had a very interesting business model. I would deliver the papers once a week. I'd walk a mile to my designated couple of streets. I'd deliver the paper. And then once a month, they wanted me to go collect money from them, from those. Now, these are are individuals that didn't ask for the paper. So you could get the paper for free or you could pay your carrier for just out of of the mercy of your own heart because I was essentially – it was a begging model. Please pay me for having delivered the newspaper that you – probably didn't want, but hey, this is the model. Later, I got a paper route that delivered to businesses where the paper route company actually paid me to deliver businesses, which I thought, hey, now that is the way to do it. I passed it on to my sisters. When my oldest son was six, he wanted a same type of paper route. And and we called it the paper route company. Or our six-year-old would <laughs> like to deliver newspapers. Can we arrange for that? And they said, sure, as long as you go with them. And so, the begging model worked when you're six because everybody thought he was so cute. And even though you know, we delivered the paper and they would give they would him money. But around this time, I got in debt up to my eyeballs. I joined a record company, vinyl albums or LPs. You could get 10 albums for, I believe it was a quarter. It might've been a nickel. I saw the ad in the Cincinnati Enquirer. I sent in my nickel. I got... My series of LPs, these are some of the first albums I had ever bought, and The Beach Boys, Hell and Ready, Evening with John Denver, Eagle's Greatest Hits, Bay City Rollers, and I love these records. Well, the record company also had an interesting business model. They would send me a slip or a, a brochure once a month, and I had to send this Slip back to them. Otherwise, they were going to send me their selection of the month. Now, I'm 10 or 11. And, and so, organizational skills was not necessarily my forte. I could manage to get papers delivered once a week, but I never, I just couldn't seem to get that piece of paper sent back. And so, albums started showing up. And, and then, and eventually, I was over $100, I believe, in debt owed to a record company where my Earnings from my begging paper route was about 20 bucks. And and I particularly remember getting KISS Rock and Roll and their Destroyal album, double album collection. I hated KISS and, and because I then owed the record company even more money. About this time, I saw what's known as an advertorial in a full-page ad in the Cincinnati Enquirer, written like a story. And it, I don't remember who the entity was, but it was a man that owned a mobile home and implied that he had location independence and did it. And he could show me, high in debt, $100 in debt, how to do that. I convinced my mom to buy this man's material. And this big box showed up. It was a box of books on copywriting and marketing. And I delved into that. And at the same time, I just OD'd on all the these sales books. My mom was selling real estate at the time, and so I had all these classic books. The Greatest Salesman in the World, Think and Grow Rich, The Richest Man in Babylon, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I was listening to tapes, and at 11 or 12, I was just entrenched in all this motivational get rich I was reading myself mantras in the in the mirror I had my goals and and I went through this entrepreneurial phase and I started learning to copyright and I was gonna run my Super Bowl ad I ran an ad in the same paper that delivered and it was it was a quarter it was a fairly large ad I took all my money that I had and it was for the Analysis Association of America. Because one of the things I learned from my copywriting books, at least at this time, is you had to look big. And so I was the GAA, and I was going to do graph analysis. My training in this was I had a book from the library. We got a P.O. box. I ran the ad, and I, re- I remember the day I had my mom drive me to the post office because I, I couldn't drive, and it was five miles away. And I got that key I opened up the P.O. box, and it was empty. And I went back. I thought, well, maybe it was too early. I went back several days later, and it was empty. I did not get one sale. But I wasn't discouraged, a little bit. But I thought, the problem was not my copywriting. It was the model, and it was the vehicle that I used to advertise. And so I went national I saved up more money It was probably six months later. I launched a new company, National Information Compilation service, and I was running it ad through in a in a thing called grit. It was a newspaper. This time I had a lead magnet, so I was selling a little brochure. I think it was something on personal finance, perhaps staying out of debt. and i so at eleven i'm I'm running an ad to. For people to get this brochure which I believe came from the government how to get out of debt and again I read the ad and the idea with this model was people would pay me a buck for this thing and then I would send them a dollar and then pitch my research services which as a 12 year old probably were not that very good ran the ad excited as can be national exposure hundreds I don't know how many tens of thousands read this open my P.O. box nothing there and I didn't make a cent. So then I turned to physical labor. And this is my point when it comes to investing. One of the biggest things we have to decide in investing is, do you like physical assets or paper assets? I find in my early business entrepreneur that I like kind of this virtual thing. It, it probably isn't surprised surprise that when I got to college and got into a career that I liked paper assets. I like sort of this... Not even this online marketing. I just, I just liked the paper versus a physical. When I had physical jobs, I launched companies where I – I launched a, a janitorial company when I was 14. Daybreak cleaning. And I was going to wash walls and I was going to wash windows. And one of the most embarrassing moments in my young entrepreneurial career was finding out that I actually couldn't work a squeegee and got hired to wash this lady's windows and could not get the streaks out. She had mercy on me and gave me some paper towels and some Windex and I cleaned her windows and and at that point focused more on wall cleaning and grasses. But I found that in investing, I gravitated toward paper in my business, toward not hard labor, but paper things, virtual things. And, And that's the first thing you have to decide in discovering how to invest. You want to get your hands dirty. I know farmers in Idaho that wouldn't buy a stock for anything because they were way more comfortable owning land. And when they make money and they have a good year, they go build a bigger house because they want, they they like that physical things. They're not comfortable with paper assets. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com david. That's linkedin.com david to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. If you're running a new or existing business, I can't think of a better partner than Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch of your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the do we just hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow, whether you're selling shipping supplies or clothing. They can help you sell everywhere with their all in one e commerce platform, as well as their in person POS system. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. When I order from an online shop and see that they're using Shopify, that gives me a great deal of confidence my order will be correct and arrive in a timely manner. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., including Allbirds and Brooklinen and entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com david, all lowercase, Go to Shopify.com slash David now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash David. The other thing we have to consider then, as I got older and got hired on and was an investment advisor, I met with many, many investment managers, as I said, and I saw how they invested. And I was also consulting to institutional clients and began to do asset allocation. And I realized that the other thing one has to decide in learning how to invest and discovering their investment style is do you like investing specifically in securities? Do you like to get your hands dirty in dealing with financial statements and researching individual companies And the very, very micro detail, what's happening to this industry, what's happening to this sector, what's happening to this particular stock or this particular bond, there are investors that really like that. I found that I actually preferred focusing on assets because it was easier. I've met with so many hedge funds and realized how much time it takes to run a hedge fund. 60, 70, 80 hours a week because the markets are always on and you're always trying to get that informational edge. But if I could essentially replicate much of that same performance by focusing on asset classes where I could only have, I only needed to make three or four changes a year per year if that versus having to do all this ongoing motion and activity and so I gravitated toward asset classes and not securities. That's the other consideration. And then you need to consider active versus passive. There are investors, their investment style, which is very much, as I mentioned earlier, aligned with their personality that just want to do it, put it aside and ignore it and rebalance once a year. There are others like me that like to be a little more active, adjust the asset allocation at based on market conditions, based on things, valuations, based on market internals and, and what's going on. That's another consideration. So how do, you, how do you discover which particular investment style, whether you want to be more active or passive? What do you want to, want to focus on asset classes versus securities? Whether you want to focus on hard assets versus paper assets? These are critical questions. And the way to learn and to find that out is to actually start. You can open a brokerage account with 50 bucks, and, and I opened one recently, and I'll tell you why, for $200. And with that, I bought a stock. I bought an ETF. And I bought a closed-end fund. And this was a completely separate brokerage account because I was doing a screencast. Because the idea is you learn by doing. And and trying and and you buy a stock even if you're not and if you've never invested before you just buy one, and you see how you react to that to the stock going up to the stock going down and you buy an ETF, and you and you decide how you react to that and you, little by little so the question is how do you start investing you start by starting, and beginning but you do it with a small amount of capital, just so over time. You start to learn your investment style. You find investment mentors, virtual mentors, people that you admire, Warren Buffett or Seth Klarman or Ned Davis or Howard Marks. These are all some of my investment mentors that I have admired mostly from afar. Some I've met in person, some I admire from afar, but I've watched and learned how they invest. So you start by starting. And the idea is as you get older and as you get more capital, you discover your investment style that is aligned with your personality. You realize you prefer physical assets over paper assets, or you you realize that you prefer to focus on individual securities, individual holdings versus an overall asset class focus. Or you prefer to be more passive versus active. Now, granted, all investment portfolios probably have a little bit of all of those elements. But again, it's where do you spend your time? On the Money for the Rest of Us Hub, I just finished up a course called Learn to Invest in Seven Steps, which is how really for the, the beginning investor to explore to help them discover their investment style. Now, some of you might not want to be part of a a monthly membership site, don't want the other things that's involved in the hub. So I'm making that course, Learn to Invest in Seven Steps, available as a separate offering. If you go to moneyfortherestofus.net, there at the bottom of the home page, you can watch this first lesson and introduction to get more information on this course, Learn to Invest in Seven Steps. It's a series of 20 video lessons over three hours of content, and I show from the very beginning how to select and open up a brokerage account with $200 or less. What is a stock? What is an exchange-traded fund? What is an exchange-traded note? What's a closed-end fund? How do they differ? And then I show you how to buy each one, how to do a limit trade. I show how to build out a network of virtual investment mentors and give examples of some of my mentors and what I've learned from them. Talk about asset classes, asset class valuation, asset class timing, and just the whole idea of experimenting and how to discover your investment style. So 20 video lessons. If you go to net, you can get more information on that. That's really all I have today. Discover your investment style little by little. If you have any questions, you can email me, jd at jdavidstein.com. Thanks to all of you that left reviews of the show. I very much appreciate that. I I enjoy getting that insight. If you would like show notes or show notes for this episode can be found also at moneyfortherestofus.net or If you go there and explore that course, learn to invest in seven steps, you might sign up for my insider's guide where I'll email you free on a weekly basis those show notes. So I'm also answering listener questions and providing other valuable content. Everything I've shared with you in episode today is for general education only. I've not considered your risk profile. I've not provided investment advice. I'm simply providing general education on money investing in the economy. Have a great week.